Apologies for the ads. As an independent one-woman show, ads help me recover some of my costs. If you want to skip the ads, sign up to the exclusive feed. All episodes are free from ads, and there's full-length bonus episodes as well. The link is in the show notes. You can also make a one-time donation at buymeacoffee.com backslash a million OTW. And on with the show, as they say. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is A Million Other Choices, and I am your host, Kim. I have a case for you today that I actually had no idea existed. And when I tried to start tracking down some information on it, most of the articles now are about, would you buy a house with a dark history? Which is an interesting question, but not the information that I was looking for. And I also discovered that there was a time when things in our legal system were very different and crimes were looked at under a different light than they are today. This is the Mount Pleasant Axe Murders. On New Year's Day in 2016, An obituary ran in the Vancouver Sun posted by the Springfield Funeral Home of 68-year-old Thomas Gordon Klosberg and read, Thomas worked for Vancouver's Children's Hospital for 30 years. He really enjoyed working at the hospital and all the friends that he made there. Thomas left us to be with his beautiful wife, Maggie, born July 14, 1937 until September 7, 2014. In this world, Thomas had a large extended family and many loving friends. He will be missed. Thomas's wishes were for no funeral service. In remembrance of Thomas, a donation to the Children's Hospital or a charity of your choice would be appreciated. This would put a smile on his face, and we all loved his smile. If you wish to send a condolence post, photos, or share a memory, please scroll down to the page to the area called Share Your Condolences. And if you do scroll down to the shared condolences, Laura Avon writes, Rest in Peace, Thomas. And on March 30th, 2017, so like three months after his death, Osborne Cosberg writes, Love from your family with a picture from Tom's much younger days. And that's all very lovely. A man in his senior years lived a quiet, nice, quiet life with his wife of 30 years, and they both passed away within two years of each other. 
Tom's dad was named Osborne, so but so was his youngest brother, um, who was an Osborne Jr. So it's hard to know if dad or brother posted their condolences, or perhaps neither. Tom and his family in his much younger years had lived at 142 East 22nd Avenue in Vancouver. His dad, Osborne, born in Norway on April 26, 1926, had worked at the Allied Heat and Fuel Company as a truck driver working nights and volunteered as a scout leader. And his mom, Dorothy, was a stay-at-home mom. Both Osborne and Dorothy were active in their community and your pretty typical leave-it-to-beaver kind of post-World War II family. Tom was the oldest, then followed Barry a year later, then two years later was Marianne, another two years and Gail came along, uh, and then there was a bit of a break before little Vincent, and then the baby of the family, Osborne Jr., came. So a rather large family and very close-knit. Neighbors said of the family all the things you would of an average middle-class family. Nice, pleasant, friendly, etc., etc. When Tom grew into his teen years, though, he was a little bit rebellious and prone to kind of running off for a few days. And back in the early 1960s, this was seen as pretty serious, and his parents grew concerned that he was going through some stuff, maybe some trauma that was driving his behavior. Oh, wait, no, that's what we would think these days. Back then, they thought something was off with his noggin. So in 1961, when he was 13, he was sent to a psychologist at the Vancouver Metropolitan Health Clinic, but he still preferred to run away. So his family sent him to live for a time in a group home with some other troubled teens um, where he stayed, kind of. He often ran away from there too. Between August 1963 to January of 1964, and that January he was referred to the Crease Clinic which was part of the Riverview Hospital, which is a mental health facility, but I believe the Crease Clinic portion was more of an outpatient center. The Crease Clinic in Coquitlam is closed now and used for filming as a location set. Riverview was also closed in 2012. So I don't think that he was there on an inpatient treatment thing. Just basically that's where his psychologist worked out of. And while being treated there, Dr. Bryson noted in his report, um, this is kind of funny how it's worded. Patient has a history of mental disturbance and a personality problem that is expected to be found in many teenagers. So how come he's allowed to say that? Anyways, basically he was going through what Dr. Bryson considered to be fairly normal teenage angst. I couldn't find anything that the family history was ever looked into. Like these days they would like to point a finger at mom and ask what have you been doing or not doing but it doesn't look like they looked into the why he felt he wanted to run away a lot. Uh, they were just trying to fix it. And the information is muddy around all of this kind of stuff. Anyways, by May of 1964, he was back at home and all was going well and he had stopped running away and was going to school and getting along well with his siblings and everything was coolio, as they say. He was referred to the Burnaby Mental Health Center for some aftercare. He went twice, but he didn't return. And since that part of his treatment was completely voluntary, his file was closed. While at the group home where he had lived, um, he had gotten along really well with some of the other kids and had made a good connection with the housemaster there, Robert Estegard. So he would often pop in and visit and catch up with everyone. And on Sunday, December 5th, 1965, that is exactly where Tom had gone to say hi and just generally chat about the holidays coming up. Tom mentioned to Robert that he had something he wanted to talk to him about, but neither of them 
could get a chance to talk privately at that time or Robert wasn't understanding what the issue was. So again, it's really muddy. It was a long time ago. But Robert did sense that something was bothering Robert. So he called his psychologist, Dr. Bennett Wong, to ask him to follow up with him. Dr. Wong did call the school and talk to the school counselor that he wanted to see him the following Wednesday, which would have been the 8th. But Tom didn't show, so when he called Tom, Tom told him that he had never actually gotten the message. The next morning, around 6 a.m., Robert got a call from Tom asking if he could come by his house and see him, that it was rather urgent. Robert had seen his share of troubled teens and could sense that something was bothering Tom and that he felt he didn't have anyone else to go to that was with what was bothering him. Now, this next part has a number of different versions of how things went down, but it's not completely central to the story, and I believe anyone that is going to question me on it is no longer around. So I'm just going to go with one version that sounds pretty legit. Robert pulled up outside of the Kosberg house a few minutes later, and Tom was clearly distressed and appeared to be having some stomach pains, like he was hunched over, and he got in the car, and he, they drove around for a bit to talk. But what Tom had to say kind of worried Robert enough that he asked him if maybe they should go and see Dr. Bennett. What he said in between bouts of dozing off and being doubled over was, I guess you know they are all dead and they won't have worries anymore. So chilled by what Tom had said that he drove Tom about seven miles over to Dr. Wong's house and Dr. Wong took him inside to talk to him for a bit. Tom opened with, I've done something awful. Dr. Wong placed a call to the police at 7.45 a.m. and kept Tom at his place where he was later described by police as neatly dressed and calm. Police arrived at the Mount Pleasant home and kicked in the front door to find the house in complete disarray with drawers and cupboards open. There was shoe polish and shaving cream left in the kitchen, beer bottles strewn everywhere, and a double-sided axe propped against the white stove. Upstairs, they could hear the terrified screams of a baby and a child's moans. In each bedroom, they found a scene of horror. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 
six-month-old Osborne Jr. was found alive in a crib next to his parents' bed, but bluish in the face and struggling to breathe. Next to his crib was his parents' bed, where 40-year-old Dorothy and 39-year-old Osborne were found with mangled faces from three blows each to the head with an axe. 13-year-old Marianne was found moaning and fighting consciousness and was quickly rushed to the hospital. She would die of her injuries, also axe wounds to the head, nine excruciating days later. 11-year-old Gail was found in her bed from three strikes to the head. 15-year-old Barry was a single blow to the head, also found deceased. And 2-year-old Vincent, who had been struck four times in the head and in the face. Tom had no trouble remembering the incident, but was unable to say why he had done what he did. The evening before, on Thursday, December 9th, his father was working the late shift and was expected home around 1 a.m. Dorothy's friend Florence Stonehouse had come by for a visit, bringing with her a bottle of chocolate syrup as a gift. Florence and Dorothy were making plans to go Christmas shopping together the next day, and the kids were all watching TV in the living room. Tom went into the kitchen and prepared milkshakes for everyone. Only what the family didn't know was that he had purchased a bottle of sleeping pills the day before and threw the entire bottle in with the ice cream and syrup. He fed a milkshake to everyone in the house minus baby Osborne. Now, I doubt that he drank one himself, even though Robert reported him dozing off while talking to him. And actually, toxicology was never able to confirm that any one of them had actually been drugged. But I'm pretty sure he did what he said he did because Florence was sitting on one end of the couch while Tom was on the other end, and Florence remembers Dorothy saying something about, I didn't know I was that tired. Before Florence woke up at 11 on the couch, mortified that she had fallen asleep as a visitor and called a cab and went home. And when Osborne Sr. got home from work at 1 a.m., Tom was still up and offered to make him a milkshake too, and he had unfortunately said yes. There were no signs that there had been any struggle from anyone, and they all appeared to have been struck with the axe in their bed while asleep. Sometime between 3 and 4 a.m., once everyone was in bed asleep, Tom went down to the basement and got the axe. He started with the children and one by one murdered his family. It is believed that he smothered baby Osborne into unconsciousness and then left him for dead, not realizing that he was actually still alive. He then changed his clothes and got into his dad's 1954 sedan and promptly drove it into a light pole about two blocks from his house on West 23rd Avenue. And then he returned home and called Robert Estergaard. Osborne Jr., the only surviving sibling, was sent to live with his paternal grandmother, Anna Cosborg, and I wasn't able to find an obituary on him, so as far as I know, he's still alive. He would be about 58 years old now. Tom was immediately shipped off to Riverview to await his trial and classified by the media as unhinged and as a berserk teen. His trial started two years later in 1967, and he pled not guilty by reason of insanity, and the entire proceedings took only two hours, and he was found to be insane and sentenced indefinitely to Riverview Psychiatric Hospital, mostly because in 1965, the years before serial killers became a thing. Juries and even prosecutors considered crimes like this so horrific that no one in their right mind would ever commit them without being deranged or delusional. So they didn't even really question his defense or the pre-planning that obviously had gone into it. 
It didn't matter that Riverview closed its doors in 2012 because only 10 years later, in 1977, when Tom was 27 years old, he was released into the community to check in once a week with a counselor and prohibited from owning any guns. Interestingly, and probably only a coincidence, Anna Cosberg, Osborne Sr.'s mother and guardian to Tom's only remaining sibling, died that same year. After his release, Thomas went to work at the Vancouver Children's Hospital for the next 30 years and married Maggie, who died in 2014. And Tom followed two years later, prompting the obituary from the Springfield Funeral Home and the condolences, and probably a troll passing themselves off as Osborne Sr., wishing him well from the other side. So here's the piece that I want to know, and since I want to know, you have to know it too. When did we make the leap to realizing that some people who are not insane, or at least the legal definition of insane, can and do commit horrible and gruesome and appalling crimes? Like, I know that in the early 1990s, the National Institute of Justice started to do some studies on mental health, and a bit of a movement was born that there were people in the criminal justice system that maybe didn't belong there because their mental health was so poor that they didn't know right from wrong. And that was kind of the birth of the NCR or not criminally responsible defense and the strict rules around when it can and cannot be applied, which nowadays is very sparingly, as in there's no way the heck that Thomas would have been able to claim he wasn't criminally responsible for his crime. I mean, he was well enough to stockpile sleeping pills and use a blender. Although, to be fair, Matthew Raymond in Fredericton was considered well enough to legally purchase a rifle, and he clearly was delusional. So, there's that. But you know what I mean. I think Tom was way too lucid and calm after the fact to have been considered being under psychosis at the time of his crime. But what I want to know is, who was the first killer that made us realize that, hey, he's actually not insane, but actually thinking rather rationally, albeit deviantly? Back in 1889, a logbook at the West Virginia Hospital listed the reasons people had been admitted to their mental health program, which back then was called the Hospital for the Insane, and included such ridiculous reasons as imaginary female trouble, marriage of a son, exposure to quackery, fell from a horse in the war, and someone was admitted due to losing a lawsuit. So back in the day, you were considered a lunatic for all kinds of reasons. But even back in 1896, H.H. H. Holmes, one of the first American serial killers, was executed rather than being deemed insane. But he pled guilty, and there's a belief today that much of his confessions were actually false. So he's maybe not a good example. Albert Fish is another well-known serial killer of children. He claimed insanity in 1936, and the jury believed him to be insane, but convicted him anyways because he had killed children and they wanted him dead. He claimed that voices in his head made him commit his crimes. Ed Gein, and one of the only serial killers that actually managed to successfully plead insanity, He's the one that made light shades and masks out of his victim's skin, the inspiration behind both the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies and The Silence of the Lambs. He actually died in a mental facility in 1984. And Columbia University did a study examining 350 mass murderers in the U.S., which is scary that there's that many to study, and found that only one in five of them were actually psychotic or delusional. And then, of course, it was in 1972 when the FBI started to study behavioral analysis and realized that very few murderers are out of their minds. 
and most of them are quite clear thinking both before, during, and after the murders. So the only thing I can really think of why in 1967 the court didn't even bother calling witnesses or just deemed Tom insane was that he didn't try to conceal his crime. He didn't light the house on fire, try to hide the weapon or the bodies, and confessed right away. And concealing is usually proof that you know what you did was wrong and you don't want anyone to find out about it. And he didn't do that. Because in today's world, there would have been a hearing to see if he was even fit to stand trial and then a bunch of witnesses to talk about his demeanor and experts testifying about his state of mind. And he would have been found guilty and sent to prison for life. And actually, it was 1967, so he could have been sentenced to death. And maybe that's the difference, that he was considered kind of a kid and a jury just didn't want to send him to the electric chair. Anyways, it's an interesting case. Really amazing to think about how in 60 years so much has changed, and yet how little. Stats from the U.S. in 2019 show that five children kill one or both of their parents every week and now make up one in every 100 homicides. Now that is insanity. I didn't answer my question about how and when the tides changed on views on insanity, please, but it was an interesting hole that we went down. And I'm going to be back again next week with another rabbit hole to go down. As always, thank you so much for listening. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.